I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I was mowing the grass this week, listening to a podcast, and on the podcast was a fierce debate um, between the two hosts about which was the more important holiday, Christmas or Easter. And based on that assessment, which one should we get rid of? We got to get rid of one of them, right? And I know some of you are like, absolutely, that's only once I got to go to church every year. Can I get a hold of that? But I'm teasing. Um, but they're kind of going back and forth. And it was basically, it was like a secular argument. It was kind of like Santa Claus versus the Easter Bunny. But I am mowing my grass and I want to stop and be like, oh, no, no. There is absolutely an answer to this question. And the answer is Easter is the most important of the two, far and away. And like, if you don't know that, friends, Easter is the whole shoot and match. Like for this Christian faith thing that we are into, if Easter is not true, if resurrection isn't real, then none of this matters. Like they had church for like 400 some odd years before Christmas even existed. That baby Jesus story ain't even in all the gospels, but the resurrection is in all of them because it is central to who we are and what our hope is anchored in. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, we've got this hope that is in Christ. It's a resurrection hope. Um, and if it's only for this world, if it's just for like seersucker suits and pillbox hats and a pretty church with a flower cross, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Because everything rides on it. If, if this resurrection thing isn't actual, then none of this faith matters, which is kind of what the, his community was saying. Now, I was thinking about that line, though, because hope is a word that gets bandied about a lot these days, and there's a lot of different definitions that get ascribed and assigned to it, such that it's almost like this morass when you start to try to pull apart what people mean by hope. Um, because all the psychological research will tell you, people need hope. Human beings thirst for it. Like our lives don't work if we don't have hope. Like when you, when hope is eliminated and despair reigns in the human psyche, like mental health tanks, violence goes up. Um, but more so the things that we need to do like as a culture and as a species on this earth to solve our problems and live well in the world, um, we need hope to do that. We can't solve our problems without hope, which can be tricky when you are living in 2022, because I don't know about you, but like the last two and a half years, hope has felt kind of hard to come by. Are you with me on this? Has anyone felt like it's in short supply? It's just kind of like the hits keep coming. Like we've got a pandemic on top of a shooting, on top of a war, on top of like whatever it is, like everyone is carrying something that feels like at every turn there's another event, another circumstance that just seems to be sort of batting hope back keeping it at bay. And so if you're in that boat, I have good news for you. We are not the first human beings to deal with this circumstance. There is ancient wisdom for how you hope, even when you don't know if your circumstances will improve or not. When everything looks hopeless, how to hope is something God's people have known about for a long time. So to show you what I mean by this, I want to show you this word, hope. Um, the Greek word that we heard in the epistle reading is, is elpis, and it's Hebrew cognate. Um, there's lots of words for hope in Hebrew, but the one I want to talk to you about is the one called kava. Let me hear you say kava. All right, ready? Pitch it. Awesome. Okay, so kava 
is derivative of its Hebrew root is a word called kav. And kav, you can say kav, you want to say kav? Say kav. Kav. Kav means cord. And what you get in this Hebrew word it, that's so powerful is the preacher tripping <laughs> while he's trying to talk and walk backwards. Um, you get this sense that basically hope is the recognition that things in the present are not like you want them to be. You want them to be different. And so the feeling that you have, like while this cord is drawn tight, the tension that's there between the, all, the present moment where things are not like you want them to be and the moment where the string, the cord pops and things are like you want them to be, that tension, that feeling of waiting, that's kava. That's what hope is, okay? And so the prophets, though, well, I should say, so what happens is for Jesus' people, this, if... <laughs> We might get a little pop if I didn't tie the knot tight enough. We'll see how it goes. Um, what ends up happening, though, is that for Jesus' people that have this hope that, that God is going to do things, is going to transform things, that they can, they can trust that what God has done, um, the prophets start to recognize that actually for a certain group of people, things are not redeemable. Um, things are going to get worse before they get better. Exile is going to be happening um, because of the way that they have disregarded the poor, because of the economic inequality that they've allowed to fester in their midst, because of the way they've had beautiful church services and not cared a lick about people in need. Um, God's like, you're going to go into exile. And as that exile looms, the prophets start to use kava. They start to use this word hope again, but they do something different with it. They say, things are probably not going to get better. And so our hope can't be in some sort of outcome where we can say it looks like this, this, and this, and we're going to get there. Our hope, the prophets say, have to be anchored instead in a person. And so the prophets anchor hope in God, in what God has done in the past and the promises that God has made. Hope is not in a circumstance or an outcome. Hope gets tied to a person. And the faithfulness of that person is God. Now, by the time of Jesus, hope gets redefined again. Because what happens, those first Christians realize, is that the promises that became, that were part of Isaiah today, where God is going to heal all things and um, establish a new heaven and a new earth, and everything was going to be made right, that that future that we were waiting for, that God was going to make fully and finally heal everything, what the, what the first Christians realized was that in Jesus' resurrected body, God's future somehow, amazingly, surprisingly, was happening already in the present. God's kingdom had come. God's will would be done on earth as it was in heaven. It wasn't all the way there, but it was happening. And that what happened with Jesus, like 1 Corinthians says, um, in his body, his resurrected body, was going to be what happened with all of us. All humanity was going to follow suit. That's why he's called the first fruits of new creation. The, the very first, like, harvest of this new world, God's future world that's coming into this one, that's th this world, the way of earth is becoming the way of heaven. That was happening in Jesus. It was going to happen for all of us, too. That's the way it's going for people. So, Christian hope is not in a disembodied afterlife somewhere where your soul springs free and you go live in heaven somewhere else. 
Christian hope is in an embodied life of resurrection in bodies here on this earth where heaven has come here. So in the resurrection, hope is still in a person. It's in Jesus. But that hope is now not just about past faithfulness. It's about a present that is full of limitless possibilities. Here's what I mean. Jill, come on in here. So I'll bet when you came to church this morning, you didn't think you were going to have somebody walk in the back door of the church with juggling batons. <laughs> Show of hands, who thought they might see juggling batons that weren't on the internet already and from people that were at the 9 o'clock. All right. You probably didn't think that there was going to be somebody that walked in with juggling batons. You probably didn't think that she was going to light them on fire. And if I'm a betting man, you probably didn't think she was going to start juggling them in the chancel of the church. <laughs> Is anybody here thinking about where you're going to brunch after the service? <laughs> Is anybody in the room bored, not paying attention? Even the kids? No, you're not. We are all right here, right now, in this moment. And you know what else? We are all intimately aware that we are off script. Fire is live in the room, and anything can happen. Jill's good at this, and we've done this a lot together. But is anyone else aware that, like, there is a guy with a fire extinguisher? Because anything can happen. This is hope. Hope is about the present moment being fully here, fully alive, fully aware to what's going on in the here, in the now, because anything can happen with this God. Hope is like fire. Can I get an amen? amen? Jill, thank you. Oh! <laughs> Anything can happen. <laughs> I think Tom McDowell just had an aneurysm. <laughs> If you think this news is revolutionary, or maybe even if you're sort of like not convinced, talk to anybody that has walked with a loved one through a terminal illness. If you've been in that place, if you've been with somebody that was sick and it was clear they weren't going to get better, you may have had religious people come into your orbit and be, say things to you like, you just need to hope and hold out hope that God's going to heal them. God can do anything. So God's going to heal your loved one? You just need to believe. They might have even gone so far as to say, I believe already God has healed them. You just need to have faith enough. And like while those religious people very much meant to comfort you, uh, didn't kind of understand how devastating that was to your soul, what they're doing is they're putting hope in circumstances. And resurrection hope, the hope that started in the prophets and the hope that starts in the here and now with, in the resurrection hope of Jesus, it is a hope that is transcendent. It is a hope that disconnects from circumstances and is instead moored in Jesus, in God. And what happens is when you talk to people that have been through this kind of illness, what they'll tell you is the thing that helped me with my loved one was any time I was able to just be fully present to them and love them through this transition. That's what I needed. I didn't need anybody to make me feel better or try to give me some sort of like assurance that maybe things could go. In fact, it's when I let go of my precious, precious outcomes that I could finally be where I needed to be.
That's hope. That's how it works. So, a couple of implications for people like us. First, hope is not optimism. Optimism is like glass half full. Optimism says, it'll probably work out. It'll be fine. That's what we say a lot at St. Paul's. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. What could go wrong with someone juggling fire in the chancel? It'll be fine. Be great. Right? Optimism ties hope to circumstance. Right? And optimism is passive. You can be like, oh yeah, it'll be great. It'll be fine. And then you don't really have to do anything. So, number two, hope is active. It takes a tr it makes it, you have to make a choice to hope, like it's something that you choose to do. Even when circumstances aren't going to work out, you choose to hope anyway, because that's what human beings need, and that's why we have a hope that is anchored in God and not in our circumstances. But that hope should also motivate us to do something. Hope isn't real hope if it's like, oh, things will work out, and so I don't have to actually act in the areas of injustice in our world, in the places that people need to be cared for, in the broken relationships that we could mend. Like, all of those things. Thank you, by the way, Balcony, for helping me out there. I don't know who untied the knot, but uh, bless you. Just a little special Easter blessing for you guys up there. <laughs> um, so, hope, we got to do stuff with hope. We have to act. We have to actually use it to motivate us to make the world better. Chris, thank you. Thank you. If you want to make some macrame, you can have some of this if you want. You seem, you seem like the guy, he said he's already started. He's like, what do you think I was doing between the services? Third, um, hope gives us new imagination. There are things that aren't right in our city, in our world. And it can feel overwhelming to the point that we shut down. What hope does, the reason we hold on to it and we access it and we choose it, is it galvanizes us to imagine a different world. All my friends in here that are activists, your work is not work of change. Your work is work of hope. Our, our activist brothers and sisters see the world as it could be. This could be better. This could be different. We don't have to have a city where if you're born on the east side of 52, you are pretty much guaranteed to live in poverty your whole life. We don't have to have that. What could we do? What could we do? We could do anything. We could do anything. Limitless possibilities. What do you think we're called to do? Right? Do you see how that works? So where do you need this kind of hope this Easter Sunday for you? Are you in a place of despair where you have just kind of decided that things are never going to be different. This relationship's never going to change. Um, that the, uh, the way things are um, in this circumstance at work, um, whatever it is, that this, this maybe even within your own psyche, um, like a habit or a pattern that you can't seem to break, and you're just sort of like, it's just going to be this way. This is just how it is. What if it's not? What if things really could be different? What if things really could change? Or is there something that's getting under your craw that you're seeing in our world that could be better and it's not? Is there a place that like the spirits happen on your shoulder to be like, let's access some hope and tap into some new imagination about what we're going to do? Because sometimes when you look around and you're like, somebody should do something about this, the somebody is you. Is it you? Whatever it is, I invite you this Easter to open your heart to a hope that is like fire. That draws us into the present moment, that gives us an openness to the limitless, 
limitless possibilities of the now because resurrection is true. Amen.